As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. We'll also be in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, We're looking at verses 57 through 59 today in Luke chapter 12. Let me begin with a question. What's going on in your life right now that threatens to keep you up at night? What is it that causes you to have that little nervous feeling within your stomach? Here's a fact. Everybody in this room at some point in your life is going to deal with conflict, particularly relational conflict. And most of us in this room are dealing with some type of relational conflict in our life right now. Now, when it comes to conflict... You either manage it, or it will manage you. Let me say that again. When it comes to conflict, you either manage it, or it's going to manage you. You guys remember that cartoon, Scooby-Doo? And you had that 100-pound Great Dane, Scooby. He's a powerful animal. He's a lovable dog. But one of the things that I always remember about Scooby is that he was a scaredy cat. Uh, He was a slave to fear. And every time he encountered a problem, what did he do? Yikes! And he would jump. He would jump into Shaggy's arms and he would be shaking like crazy and he he would try to run from the situation. I would guess that probably about 80% of us in this room are Scooby Doo's when it comes to conflict and we try to avoid it. We try to avoid it pretty much at, at all cost. And whenever we face it, we, we run from it. We hope it will go away. We hope that it will just kind of work itself out, find its own solution. And so even times we just kind of accommodate it and try to live with it. Now, I may surprise you with what I'm going to say next, and that is that avoiding conflict is often a good thing. You actually need to have some discernment to know when a matter needs to be dealt with and when a matter is really not that big of a deal, and you can just avoid it. There are a lot of things in life that are really just not that big of a deal. And uh, uh, the, the old saying, don't sweat the small stuff, right? What's the next part of it and everything else is small stuff? Well, that last part's wrong. Okay? Everything else is not small stuff. There is some stuff that has to be dealt with, but there's a lot of things in life that are small stuff. You can let it slide. You can avoid it. It's not that big of a deal. And it's possible that the reason why you always find yourself in so many conflicts is because you're always making mountains out of molehills. You're always blowing things up and making them a bigger deal than what they really are. But there are many conflicts in life that if you don't deal with them, if you don't face them, the situation's just going to deteriorate and get worse and worse and worse. So look with me today at our passage, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 57. Jesus says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge, 
and the judge hand you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last cent. Now here's the scene that Jesus sets up for us. We are on our way to court, and unfortunately, we are the one in debt. You owe a debt. Maybe it was a college loan. Perhaps it was the vehicle of your dreams. Perhaps something unfortunate happened and you inquired some medical bills, but you went into debt. You borrowed money. And for whatever reason, you didn't pay back or you were not able to pay that money back in the required agreement. And so now your lender has arrived. Now your lender has said, it's time for you to pay. Now understand this about conflict. Conflict rarely goes to the extreme levels immediately. There is almost always a road to conflict. And the further you go down that road, usually the greater the conflict becomes because as we fail to deal with it, the conflict grows and grows and grows. And the further we go down that road, the more difficult it becomes to find resolution for the conflict. So in the scenario that Jesus presents here, you owe a financial debt. It was foolish of you to ignore the letters. You thought to yourself, eh, it doesn't really matter. It's just junk mail anyway. You received the phone calls and you hit the handy ignore button and somebody taught you how to block calls and so you just quit taking those calls from the bank. You ran from the debt. You pretended that it didn't exist. But now you've reached a point where you can't run anymore. Now you've reached a point where your lender is taking you to court. In biblical days, there was such a thing as debtor's prison. If you owed a debt and you couldn't pay it back, you would be thrown into jail. And you would stay in that jail until the entire debt was paid off. Now, obviously, if you're in jail, your earning power is limited. So your family and friends, people that liked you, had to raise that money. Otherwise, you were going to spend the rest of your life in jail. So that's the scenario. Now, today, I want to talk to you about a biblical principle. And I'm excited about this principle because, let me just back up and say, first of all, what I'm going to talk to you about today, it does have a little bit of sharpness to it. This passage does. But this biblical principle that we're going to deal with, if you will embrace it, if you will live it out, it can free you, it can help you, it can really be a significant uh, jumping point in your life if you will just embrace and live out this biblical principle. You ready for the principle? Settle matters quickly while on the way. Settle matters quickly while on the way. Now, here's a question for us to wrestle with. What keeps us from settling matters quickly? What causes things to grow? What causes conflicts to begin to burn out of control so that they become so large that they're very, very difficult to deal with? Well, let me give you four things that often cause that to happen. Number one, our pride. 
we do something that hurts another person, but we just refuse to admit what we've done wrong. We dig our heels in, we find our position, and in our pride, we, we just refuse to admit that I've done anything, said anything, contributed to the problem whatsoever. And because of our pride, the problem just grows and grows and grows. This week's a special week in my life. Uh, Stacy and I, this week, celebrate 20 years of marriage. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I know that the 830 service, a lot of my seniors are in the 830 service, and they're like, you're just beginning. I, I get that, okay? But 20 years does have some merit to it. And in 20 years, uh, I've learned three words that really have strengthened my marriage. Those words are, I am sorry. And uh, Stacy has learned three words that has really strengthened our marriage as well. And that is, I forgive you, okay? And that exchange between sorrow for what you've done and forgiveness, this exchange is vital to healthy human relationships. If we want to settle matters quickly, we have to lower our pride and be willing to say, I'm sorry. Even if you don't really feel that you've done something wrong, but the other person perceives that you've done something wrong, you can, you can lower your pride and say, I'm sorry that you feel this way. I'm sorry that, that you've been hurt here. But when someone also brings apology to you, we also return forgiveness to them. And so many conflicts could be solved so much more quickly if we would just swallow our pride and say, I'm sorry. And if we would just be willing to extend forgiveness to the people that we love. A second reason why matters are not settled quickly. Excuses. We create reasons why we do what we do. And a lot of times we begin to rationalize behaviors in unrational ways. Have you ever heard of the criminal Pablo Escobar? Pablo Escobar, in many ways, was the father of cocaine. He, he helped uh, create it and distribute it. At one point, had an incredible criminal empire. Uh, he was a terrorist. He was a murderer. He was an altogether bad dude. And he would actually say at times, I'm a criminal. I've killed people. I've committed terrorist acts against the government. But he would also say, I did it in order to help the poor. Now, what's he doing? He is rationalizing horrible behavior. He's making excuses. And sometimes the reason why our conflicts just grow and grow and grow is because we always feel as though we have to make an excuse for what we've done. A third reason why matters are not settled quickly is refusal to accept the truth. We just won't accept the truth. You heard about the person who went bankrupt and they said, I can't be out of money. I still have checks. You know, uh, it can be hard to deal with the truth. But let me say this when it comes to reality, when it comes to truth, you need to lean into it. The same is true with the Word of God. I find a lot of times we have our opinion, and then you have the truth of the Word of God. 
And sometimes we refuse to lean in to the truth and we refuse to embrace it. Instead, we push against the truth and we think that we ourselves know more than what God has revealed to us about himself and his ways in his word. You have to embrace the truth. Before you can pay back the debt, you have to know how much you owe. Now, let me just take a little side jaunt here to those of us who are parents and we're still bringing up the children in the home. It's natural for us to love our children. And it's natural for us to want to minimize their struggles. But realize this, that sometimes loving your children means that you have to see the truth. Sometimes loving your children means that you have to be really honest about where they are in their spiritual growth and where they are in their development and what they may have done. And sometimes you also have to help them see the truth for what it is. And here's the part that gets really difficult. Sometimes as parents, the way that we love our children best is not by helping them avoid the consequences, but by helping them deal with the consequences. Helping them deal with the fallout and the consequences of their behavior is in many ways loving your children because those consequences help them grow and mature so that they can make wiser decisions in the days ahead. Now, there's a fourth reason why sometimes matters are not settled quickly, and I'm going to call this our happy places. Uh, Hanging with friends, surfing the internet on your cell phone, uh, watching sports, Buying new things, eating, going on vacations. Those things that we do to forget about what we do, right? We all have happy places. My happy place is somewhere out in the middle of nowhere where there's no people around and I can find a little stream and just sit by that stream. If I'm there, I'm in a happy place, right? Happy places are needed in life. We all need a vacation. There's all times where we just need to unplug and escape. But eventually, you've got to come back home. Eventually, uh, you have to deal with reality. And yet, sometimes what we try to do is busy ourselves so much with all these things that build false realities that we never really deal with what's right what's right in front of us. So this man in the passage that Jesus presents, he knew that debtor's prison existed. He knew that he owed a debt, but it was easier for him just not to think about it. But after a while, he could only avoid it so long, and now he was in the situation where he was headed to court, and Jesus is essentially saying, before you ever get to that situation, you need to try to settle the matter quickly. Now make sure that you hear this part. Physical conflicts, relational conflicts, are in reality symptoms of spiritual conditions. When someone wrongs you, someone does something, says something, acts in a way that wrongs you, when they sin against you, 
what they did to you is actually a reflection of what's going on in their heart. Hurt people hurt people. Now, reversing the camera here, when you wrong somebody else, physically, verbally, emotionally, financially, when you wrong somebody else, it's also a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So look with me to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. We have here the sister passage to the two verses there in Luke chapter 12. In Matthew 5, Jesus expands the lens just a little bit. And he says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I'm in verse 22, But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So Jesus begins here with something that everybody in the audience agrees upon, and that is that cold-blooded murder is wrong. You have heard it was said, uh, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Now, nobody's going to disagree with that if you commit cold-blooded, cold-blooded murder, then, then you deserve the uh, judicial judgment that's coming down your way. But then Jesus backs it up to the soul matter. He says that before the physical act occurs, something else has occurred within the heart much earlier. At some point in your life, anger purchases your heart. And whenever anger purchases your heart, it then rents a U-Haul. It pulls up to the residence of your soul. Anger begins to unload its stuff. Anger sits in the living room of your life. It watches your flat screen. Anger begins to pierce your thoughts. Anger begins to grip you. And this is true about anger. Eventually, Anger begins to talk. Anger doesn't just stay contained. Anger makes its way into our words. Curse words. Racist words. Prideful words. The example here that Jesus gives, the man caught in anger, begins to devalue other people. He calls him raka or moron. Raka and Aramaic swear word of the day. It literally meant to call someone empty-headed, of no value. And so Jesus is getting at here, before you take someone's life, anger has purchased your heart, anger has moved in, and you have developed a voice and a thought pattern that begins to devalue people around you. And once you begin perceiving other people as having no value, guess what? You perceive yourself as superior. You become a supremist, someone who is caught in pride. And then it is just a short jump from rationalization to sinful action. You hear this in discussions that people have about 
developing children. The argument goes like this. The fetus is smaller. It's dependent upon the mother. It's unborn. And it's still developing. Therefore, the mother has superior value and rights to the unborn child. When you mentally or verbally empty someone of value because they are smaller, because they are younger, older, have different skin tone, because they're different than you, or they're more dependent upon other people. When you start emptying people of their value, people that were created in the image of God, it is just a short jump from empty rationalization to sinful choice. And what Jesus is getting at here is long before the physical act occurs there's a spiritual reality that is taking place in the heart. And so he changes the scene to the synagogue. And he says in verse 23, So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Now the next part will sound familiar. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison, and I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So here, the scene is church. To be completely truthful with the text, The scene was an ancient synagogue. In order to help us understand what Jesus is getting at, we'll imagine it to be church. So you're sitting in worship, and the sermon is finally over. Praise Jesus. Amen. And the crowd has sung the commitment song. The ushers are now coming forward for the offering. And they are praying. And you're reaching the end of the service where you get to give back to God and acknowledge His abundant goodness to you. And you're about to give your offering, and yet you still just feel empty inside. Something's not right. You know, very rarely is the problem with your church. Rarely was the problem that you just didn't sing the right songs that week or the preacher didn't talk about the Word of God or that the Holy Spirit isn't present within the midst. Often, the problem is me. I'm not in tune with God. And a lot of times, the reason why I'm not in tune with God is because I am not in right relationship with the people around me. I've done something that hurt someone, and I need to make it right. And until I make it right 
it's going to interfere with my ability to worship God and it's going to stop my ability to enjoy the presence of God and the presence of God's people. Our relationships with one another affect our relationship with God. Now I realize this. You can't control other people. You can't control their actions. And you can't control their reactions. You can go to someone and you, you can try to settle the matter. And you can't control how they react. And it's not your responsibility to control how they react. But it is your responsibility, to the best of your ability, to live in peace with others. It is your responsibility, when you have done something that wronged another person, to tell them, I'm sorry, to try to settle the matter quickly. It is your responsibility to try to live in right relationship with other people and to extend the grace that God has given you to others. I am amazed that the greatest thing that God has ever given us is His grace. And yet grace is sometimes the last thing we're willing to extend to others. Don't be a grace hoarder. Don't take the grace of God and say, thank you, and then become prideful with it. Look at me, I've been forgiven, I am. I am a child of God, and that makes me prideful because I'm no longer a slave to fear. That's not what the song's about at all. You're no longer a slave to fear, not because you've done something, but because God's done something for you. And you've experienced freedom that was undeserved. And because we as Christians have experienced the freedom and grace of God, we need to do everything in our ability to live in right relationship with other people. Outside of the church, in our family, in our community, in our schools, in our workplaces, and inside the church as well. One of the things that I am so thankful for is the sweet spirit that we have within this church. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, guard that. Guard that. Cherish it. Because for us to have worship moments that stir our hearts and drive us towards the throne room of God, we also have to have a loving spirit that permeates our relationships, is seen in our life groups, is seen in our families. And whenever we wrong someone, when we hurt someone, when we say something that we shouldn't have said, whenever we do something that we shouldn't have done, we have to be willing to go to them and say, please forgive me. I shouldn't have done that. And Jesus brings such intensity to the scene that he says, you're right there in the middle of synagogue. Nobody talked in Jewish synagogue. Nobody left. He says, you're right there, and you remember, you know what? I've done something. My brother has something wrong against me because I've done it. He says, stop right where you are. Go to them. Try to make it right, and then come back and present your offering. When you understand that people matter to God, when you understand that part of the beauty of salvation is that anyone can be saved, that the atonement of Jesus Christ is available to all, that God can change anyone, and God, who does not have to extend grace to anyone, has willingly chosen to extend grace to all through His Son. When you understand that, and you start living in right relationship with others, it is such a beautiful thing to gather with God's people. 
We come from different households, different backgrounds, different economic statuses, different ethnicities, but we gather together with one thing in common, and that is that we love Jesus. And we want to worship His holy name. And we love one another because we love Jesus. Jesus talked about a litmus test for His disciples. He said, people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Can you remember what I preached on last week? I don't feel bad. Sometimes I can't even remember what I preached on last week. You know, you put a quarter in me and a sermon comes out. But uh, last week, I preached on the return of Jesus Christ. And I preached on how that is part of the gospel. That one day Christ will return again and he won't return as the innocent baby of Bethlehem, but he'll return as the judge. That he will not only die for the sins of humankind, but he will rid the world of the presence of sin so that his people can live with him forever and ever apart from the presence of sin, out of the grip of sin. The second coming of Jesus Christ. With the solar eclipse coming tomorrow, perhaps I should have preached that sermon today. Because uh, some people are like, sun's going to go away, Jesus is going to return, and tomorrow's the day, he's coming back, I'm going to go up and meet him in the air, and I, I think I'm ready to go. If he comes tomorrow, I'm, I'm ready to go. I've still got one area to work out. I'm trying to convince Paul Packabush to take care of my dog if, if I go tomorrow, but, uh, but I, think, I think I'm ready to go, and as long as my dog can be taken care of, then, then all things are good. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I th- We'll see if I can work that, work that out. But I, I, here, here's, what, here's what Jesus is ultimately saying in this passage. And, and make sure you don't miss it. Because everybody, everything that I've ultimately talked about today, the relationships between one another, Jesus was using as an illustration to drive us back to him, to drive us back to God. And so what Jesus is ultimately saying is that one day... We're going to go before the judge. Okay, this passage piggybacks on the previous passage that talks about the Son of Man is going to come again, and when he comes, you will not know. One day, it will be time to go before the judge, and whenever you go before the judge, the debt needs to be clean, the matter needs to be settled. Or one day, it will be too late. But unfortunately, sometimes our pride, our excuses, our refusal to accept God's truth and our busyness keeps us from dealing with our sin. The truth of the matter is that all of us have sinned. We all owe a debt that we could not pay. Our sin, how many sins does it take to become a sinner? We're all sinners. And we owe a debt that we could not pay. And if we were to stand before the judge in our sin, we would be thrown into the jail, the proverbial jail here. And Jesus says, when will you get out? When the very last cent is paid. How how can you do that? You can't pay that debt. The very last cent will never be paid, except for the fact that Jesus paid the debt for you. It is finished, paid in full. The debt 
has been paid. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus understands that we are all messed up people. That we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And He has done something for each of us that none of us could do on our own. He has died for us and He has paid our debt. And He calls us to trust Him. And whenever we trust in Him and place our faith in Him, God sees us not as debtors, but God sees us as children in Christ. And we belong to Christ forever and ever and ever Because Christ has paid the debt. Do you see the beauty of that, my friend? And whenever you understand that the debt has been paid, it allows you to live with joy. Christian people ought to be the most joyful people on earth. We shouldn't have a toxicity that pushes people away from the cross. We should have a joy that is contagious, that draws people to the cross. Because the debt has been paid. And because the debt has been paid, we are free to love one another, to love others, to love God, and to live in that love. So maybe today it's time to settle some things. It's time to settle some matters with people, people that you've hurt, people that you've done wrong. It may be time to say, I'm sorry. And before the sun goes down, before you pillow your head, you need to do everything in your power to make it right. And it may be time today to settle some things with God, to place your faith in Him. Perhaps you've wandered and it's time to come back to where you need to be and to get things right between you and your Lord. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads as we stand together? Just stand right where you are. Our heads are bowed. The band's going to come and lead us in this next song. And this is a time where you can pray. You may feel led to pray right there at your seat. You may feel led to come forward and pray here at the steps. After going through a passage like this, it may even be that during this time, You need to slip out quietly because there's somebody that you need to call. Somebody that you need to reach out to. Because there's a matter that needs to be settled. And God has convicted your heart. It may be today that you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'll be here at the front and if I can be a pastor to you. If I can help you know what it means to be alive in Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. If there's anything that I can pray with you about or encourage you in, I'm here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, whenever we open it, sometimes it's comforting and sometimes, Lord, it's challenging. And so, Father, when we look at a passage like this, it kind of scrapes against the sludge of our hearts and it reveals to us some areas where we need to grow and change and mature. And, Lord, I pray that we will not rebel against it, but may we lean into your truth. Father, I realize that in this room that there are some very personal situations that are hurtful. And I pray, Father, that we will not be caught in the grip of anger 
Lord, help us to be forgiving, loving people. Lord, we pray for those that may not react as they should, that may continue to rebel against you. We pray that you might grab a hold of their hearts and bring them back to where they need to be or bring them to where they need to be. But we pray that for ourselves, that when we pillow our heads at night, that we might have a clear conscience before God and man. Help us, Lord, not to be caught in the tentacles of anger. But Father, may you drain the bitterness from our soul and fill us with a grace and a love that draws people to your cross. And may we have the joy of seeing people experience forgiveness, experience new beginnings, and see people come alive in Jesus Christ. It is in his powerful name that we pray that we worship, that we give, that we serve. It is in His name that we gather here today. Amen.